Everything. Everything's good. I need yeah, two more coming from up here. We've got a clock. Can six. we get a oh. six right on six? Just a one. Don't worry. Okay. Well, we have nothing to say. That's it. All right. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Did I need to put this back on the wall? No. Still, we've got to. We've got to uh, fix this. So yeah. I don't know if that's gonna sit on. Are you gonna? Can you stay with us for the first half hour or so? Just uh, yeah, sure, of in course. We run into. Thanks. I'll just grab the chair here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can. It's sort of out of the distance. So yeah, can okay. Can you hear me? Can you hear me down there? Yeah. And uh, can you uh, transfer around to, so I can see uh, James Moore? Yep. Right there. Yes. And James, can you hear me? I can James, hear you. James, uh, you're mic'd? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, so are you, uh, I can't, I can hear you, but I can't see James Moore. Very flattering image. Yeah. Okay, so uh, here we are. It's, uh, I think, the ninth class. It's March the 15th, 2006. This is uh, Globalization Since 1492. I'm Professor Anthony Hall, and uh, I'm in uh, the building with uh, Professor Alberto Guevara. And Professor Guevara is going to show some, uh, some slides, a movie. Uh, it's going to, the, the title of tonight's lecture, or the main part of tonight's lecture, the, the main part of the class is Lethbridge, Nicaragua, and Nepal as sites of globalization through the eyes of Professor Alberto Guevara. And so that's the main uh, subject tonight. Uh, most of you will have met in some way James Moore, who has uh, been uh, taking part in the class. James Moore has a master's in distance education from 
Athabasca University, and of course Athabasca University concentrates on distance education. And James is part of Friends of Medicare. And Friends of Medicare, in association with our class, the University of Lethbridge, uh, is organizing for the May the 29th a special focus on health, on Medicare, and on the proposed changes emanating from the Alberta government. I haven't uh, taken on the subject of globalization and health, but obviously it's a subject that belongs in this context. Uh, diseases, epidemics are no respecters of national boundaries. We saw that with, uh, for instance, SARS. Uh, we can see that uh, an organization like the World Health Organization has to be a cognizant of, of global patterns. Uh, and uh, as we think about the healthcare issue in Alberta and Canada, uh, I think it's increasingly important that we see this in a, in a broader context. Certainly, uh, the issue of healthcare as it exists in Canada and healthcare as it exists in the United States, where much of the healthcare system is run essentially as private, a private business with uh, much emphasis being placed on these uh, for-profit insurance companies. Obviously, it's an entirely different system than in Canada. And some might see Canada as a kind of example that some in the United States would not want to see duplicated, uh, an example of using health as a for-profit business. Uh, this was an approach that uh, we thought we'd superseded in the 1960s, but it seems now this is being put in question. So on March the 29th, two weeks from now, our hope is that we can uh, get a lot of focus on interactivity, that we can generate some kind of provincial-wide and possibly national discussion on health, that we can use our chat, uh, and that we can uh, develop our capacities for uh, interactivity, interactivity in real time, the fact that we can have discussions through this medium, global discussions. And uh, James has uh, a lot of uh, theory about this, a lot of ideas about this, and has been working on actually implementing some of these ideas. And uh, so the chat line, this is the first uh, round where we're, we are getting some um, um, developments on the chat line. So with that introduction, James, perhaps you could uh, uh, talk about the uh, interactive capacities of what we're doing with this pilot project. Doran called it the other night a, a pilot project. I think that's a good way to describe it. Research and development in post-secondary education. Uh, can you uh, uh, introduce the subject of the kind of interactivity you're interested in developing in, in, in relationship to this event that we're going to uh, mount on March the 29th, James? Yeah, thanks, Tony. Um, I guess I'd begin by um, making the first statement is that the only difference, the great difference, between the internet and computer communications and previous forms of media is that the opportunity which is offered with the internet is many-to-many -many communication. When you, when you look at the other types of media like, you know, television, film, 
you don't have many-to-many -many communication. You don't have the, the possibility. Usually, you, even no matter how, uh, you know, how excellent a, a, a television program may be, you're in the position of passivity. You're in the position of, of reflection. And if you want to do something after that, it's a process of, of taking another medium, taking another organization. So the potential of the internet is, uh, is there in, in that many-to-many -many communication. But the actualization of the many-to-many -many communication possibility is something that seems uh, difficult to do from, from several levels. Uh, the uh, the many-to-many possibility, first of all, is, is somewhat preempted by uh, you know, traditional communication. Because if you have communication within a form, the, the form of a hierarchical structure, you're going to have a, a, <clears throat> a communication format basically where if you, if you see how, you know, this room is like a half example. But most lecture halls, uh, most situations where you have a public communication, you're going to have in, in the Western society uh, a situation where there's one person more or less in a position of power or sometimes a table of people or a, you know, a group of people and they will be speaking to a, a crowd arranged in electronic in a rather a rectangular format usually, square format, where all of the rest of the people in the room are looking at the back of each other's heads. And this, this um, uh, this is sort of the, the, the traditional trend going forward. And, and if you're looking at the, the, uh, you know, the role, as it's been ex explained in this course, of communication, what are you going to do with this possibility? Like, what if everybody can speak to anybody? What if, what if this potential is given to the world? It, it was given to the world. You know, it's really a new thing. Um, Fascinating, fascinating uh, reference I have here with regard to uh, uh, some of you have heard the, uh, I'm sure some of you have heard of the project for the new American century. Show of hands. Uh, well, it's an interesting document. This document came out of the uh, uh, Kind of the realization after the Cold War was over, and the uh, there was a very brief conversation there about uh, what was called the Pete's dividend, and and what should we do with you know now that presumably uh, you know, the old argument of having to spend hundreds of billions of dollars every year on weapons was no longer valid, that there would be a lot of leftover money to do something more uh, interesting in. in terms of how we're going to organize ourselves in the world. But anyway, uh, this was kind of dangerous talk about the peace dividend. So there was a, a group of people organized on the idea of the project for the new American century. Actually, if you, if you, uh, you can pull it up on a website and, and have a look anytime you'd like. But I have a, a reference from that project going forward. Now, now uh, if you're going to, uh, uh, you know, once you're the preeminent superpower in the world, 
Are you going to maintain that position going forward into the 21st century? And one of the uh, talks that they had was called Rebuilding America's Defenses, Strategy, Forces, and Resources for a New Century. And then within there, one of the topics is space and cyberspace. And the space and cyberspace, I put the document here. Uh, you know, how do, how do we do this? Can we, can we come on there or? I can see, no? Because the reference I want to make, oh, there we go. Do I focus? Impossible to read it. You've got to focus in or something. The zoom here? Yeah. Okay. Tony? Yeah. While there's a break here, do you guys want to mute your mic on that end until you need to talk? Yep. Okay, this okay. is the. Uh, it's just, I think it's the red button. What's happening here? Can, can you hear me? Are we muted now? Uh, no, not yet. Yeah. If, if there's some interest, we can we can talk about space. But they're 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 putting space and cyberspace in the same document. And this aspect of cyberspace here, um, it says, uh, if outer space represents an emerging medium of warfare, then cyberspace and in particular the internet holds similar promise and threat. And as with space, access to and use of cyberspace and the internet are emerging elements in global commerce, politics, and power. Any nation wishing to assert itself globally must take account of this other new global commons. And the second paragraph I find even more interesting. The internet is also playing an increasingly important role in warfare and human political conflict. From the early use of the internet by Zapatista insurgents in Mexico to the war in Kosovo, communication by computer has added a new dimension to warfare. And then it goes on about how their major concern is about being able to destroy uh, other people's computer systems while not having theirs destroyed. But I want to refer to the early use of the internet by Zapatista insurgents in Mexico. I want to get to that point. And the reason why is in 1994, on New Year's Day, when, when the world became aware of the Zapatistas, it, it was astonishing how they were able to use the internet and, and to actually get a reference in the, uh, you know, at this high level of, of, of in America. Um, they, they were really busy with this many-to-many -many communication, this kind of possibility that, that normally is, um, uh, some of the academic arguments, if I'll just go there to, to you know, the formal study of, of uh, distance education and, and is that when um, you know, you're speaking about actualizing the potential, the word interactivity always appears as, as ideal, as you know, this is the real advantage, this is what we need, this is how it's going to work. But it also seems that uh, the same time as that said, the reality is that uh, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, the way the world is structured, a lot of institutions have a lot of difficulty with actually uh, 
you know, going to the implementation of actualizing the potential because it tends to lead to what you might term as loss of control or at least the, the fear of loss of control. And this is really sort of a, a break, a constraint on, on actualizing that potential because if you have many-to-many -many interactions going on, then you have, um, you know, like who's going to monitor all this? Who's going who's gonna to be able to decide? Well, the point is you're not. That's why the Zapatistas were so successful. They, they were able to mobilize the world's resources using, using a, a, a dramatically new tool. This is, this is really the first uh, use that I know of that, that took the power of the internet and took it to the point where one of the, uh, I guess, gurus in the field, Clay Shirky, who, who often has some very interesting, pithy comments about the subject, <clears throat> he says, and, and we can term all of these things, like the social software, the chat line, you know, all of the all of the many-to-many -many communication possibilities can be termed social software. That's his word. And he has a saying where he, where he says, social software is political science in executable form. And it's, it's really interesting. So anyway, rolling back uh, to our use of the internet in, in this course, um, I've made some observations and, and some suggestions going along. Uh, you know, you've seen me in the class and, and, and things like that. And <clears throat> um, as far as where we're leading to, in the uh, uh, the 29th, the 29th is uh, to focus on uh, the uh, the actions of the of the government of Alberta, which we're all aware of uh, recently. I think that this this attempt, uh, which has been kind of festering for quite a long time, it seems, to privatize Medicare. And um, as a way of focusing and organizing ourselves, the way of we, what we have, we have this chat line, which is, uh, I would think, uh, exists as a potential. Um, James, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you can you walk us now through the chat? Just just show it to us. Okay. Yeah, and you know we. Maybe three, four minutes uh, more. We're, we had a sort of crisis here with a computer, but uh, we seem to be up and running again, so we're geared okay. to go. Okay. Um, I don't know. Are you all on the chat? You use the chat sometimes us when you have a, a, a laptop with you. Um, so can we cut, go over to and see the computer, uh, Alyssa? All right, or maybe you can see it in the room. I can't. Um, there's some inside communication going on here about uh, organizing the chat, <clears throat> and participants are. Can you see the computer in the classroom? Is there a screen? Where you can see the computer. Sure. Um, the thing about a chat, like the textual chat coming in, the, the, what we have 
here is the potential is the the video cast going out. So anyone oh, yeah. or America has the option or the world has the option to uh, at home on their computer watch the class. The other part is the only input, the many-to-many -many part that, that we have available, that's, that's openly available to anyone sitting anywhere on the computer, is the textual chat. We don't have an audio connection. But within the texting uh, medium, <clears throat> there's ways uh, that, like, if, you, if, you're greeting, if you're greeting people, as you come in, Whoever comes can into you, the room. Can you take us into the site? Can you just go go back a, a step so you take us right to this this window, the the procedures that led you to get to this window? Do you want me to do that, or if you can, is that my screen up there? Yeah. Yeah. We're watching. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, just. Basically, come into your uh, video conferencing. Now, the presumption is that there's people watching outside who, who haven't done this, but uh, but but say you're coming into you know watch now globalization studies watch now. Let's even go back to the to the entry point. Okay, I think I got in the entry point by typing it in. Okay. <clears throat> there, we're coming to the website. So if someone's at the website, the Watch Now link brings the, uh, the video feed to them. And then their interactive point is clicking here to join the chat. And okay. I'm already logged in. So I have to just click on the globalization. You, you're given a, a space to put in your name. Once you put in your name, you're logged in. Now, this, this link, this, uh, you can see the Alberta symbol there, the video conference link. It can only be used from inside Alberta, from my experimentation, because I've asked people outside of Alberta to set up a chat. They can't set up a chat using this, but what they can all do is join a chat that's set up inside Alberta. And this is one of the Alberta products which the government of Alberta has invested seeing some of the potential of the internet. That was my but, fault. But this, this, internet <laughs> this internet potential works in many ways. Um, we find that uh, uh, um, in, the, in, the, in the arena of... Uh, actualization of the potential that a huge amount of energy is going into, uh, uh, you know, business-minded. You, you'll see whole realms of data on, on how to use it to maximize productivity. You, 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 meanwhile, uh, people yep. all over the world are using it for their own ends, for sharing, for, for organizing. And our intention, uh, our expectation, because we want 
you as well to, you know, if you've got a friend in, uh, in Chile or anywhere, then let them know that on the 29th of this month at 6 to 9 Mountain Standard Time, we're actually going to be inviting the world, Alberta, to join in the, this room because if you're studying globalization, then it gives us an opportunity to invite the people to come in. Now, if, if you're chatting in, in this chat line, uh, when you get active inside it, uh, you'll often find that, that there's, you know, sometimes term, what's termed threads of, threads of thought, threads of conversation that become quite fascinating um, right now. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we get the idea, James. Okay. I think we get the idea. I, I can't quite read the screen. I can see your name. I think I can see uh, uh, Melanie's name. What's going on in the discussion? Is there an actual discussion happening now? Uh, I'm, I'm mainly talking. <laughs> There's some interaction. Who else is in there? U, U of L, Melanie. Melanie's uh, made room. a few comments to me. Uh, and is Lucan there? Lucan. 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 Yeah, there's Lucan. Lucan said the stream is shut down and she'll try again on the way back. So Lucan is our student in uh, Ottawa. Yeah. Well, I think we we get the general idea, James. Um, maybe you can wrap up in a couple of minutes, and and then I'll introduce uh, Alberto. Okay. Uh, so to wrap up, um, there's going to be a number of actions in Lethbridge. Uh, the 27th, there's going to be a meeting. The 29th is our uh, attempt to disseminate the information, to invite communication, to tell what we're up to. The 30th is a book coming forward uh, about the economics of privatizing healthcare. And on the 1st, April 1st, is a rally in Galt Gardens at 1.30. Um, bring your umbrellas. It's a new word. This is a symbol for are you covered. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting uh, everyone to be there. <clears throat> 1.30, Galt Gardens. And uh, I think, you know, what we're doing here uh, is going to demonstrate that we're not isolated. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that everybody's watching Alberta in a sense because, uh, you know, we're the kind of the point that, that they're taking to try, try this rich. breaking of, of Medicare. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be watched. And, and we have to have a, uh, you know, a, a successful reaction. And I think that, you know, this is this is the point where, uh, uh, you know, we're going to be able to explore the possibilities of the internet and, and link them to what we're doing in an action, and then reflect on them and come back. So. Okay, James. Ahead. Thank you very much, and we'll look forward to uh, two weeks from now. And uh, we'll see what we can pull together. And thank you very much for that presentation and uh, uh, all that you're bringing to uh, 
the uh, public education around these issues. I think it interesting that um, Alberta was the site of much experimentation in the deregulation of, of energy. And that, of course, was uh, the main agenda pushed by a little company called Enron and uh, the uh, excesses of Enron and the internal contradictions uh, within Enron, um, the lies and the deceit and the uh, abuse of the system are, are now just coming to light. Uh, but it, a, an un, a really unpublicized aspect of Enron's history is that much of this experimentation in the deregulation of energy prices took place in Alberta. And I believe uh, Jim Dinning was quite involved. He was uh, involved in uh, New Zealand where a lot of this uh, uh, experimentation took place in, in deregulation, neoliberal privatization. And uh, Don Hill was talking about this a lot on his CBC radio phone-in show, Wild Rose Forum. And suddenly he was uh, taken off the air for um, whatever reason. The CBC said he was redundant he believed that it had something to do with this uh, story he was bringing to light. So he would repeat it again and again. He has done the class, this uh, uh, globalization studies class, uh, that Alberta is a kind of laboratory and a kind of test tube for a lot of things. And uh, it's interesting that just at a time when Alberta could afford to be uh, providing, say, free education um, and uh, the best health care in the world, as a, as, as a right of citizenship rather than transforming it into a business and therefore suggesting and creating a situation where those with money will get better health care. They'll be two-tiered or three-tiered or ten-tiered uh, depending on uh, you know, how wealthy you are. So that this really goes against a, a Canadian principle that some would say, say has become integral, basic to our citizenship, that as Canadian citizens we, we don't use health care as a, as a point of division between rich and poor. We recognize as a community that we're, we share responsibility for one another. And with that, uh, I'll shift gear. And maybe, uh, Alyssa, if you can shift the camera so I can be seeing the class as uh, I'm uh, talking up here in the link, up in the 11th floor of the library here. Um, and if you can pull back so I can see the whole, uh, the whole room. I'm very pleased and honored to introduce Alberto Guevara. Alberto Guevara, Professor Guevara, Dr. Guevara is in the anthropology department at the University of Lethbridge and has a PhD from Concordia, an interdisciplinary PhD in cultural, social anthropology, communication and performance. And uh, tonight, uh, Alberto is going to share with us some of his field work, the results of his field work he's been doing in, uh, could I say, revolutionary theater in Nepal, uh, in Lethbridge. And this goes back to uh, the uh, early 1980s when uh, Dr. Guevara was uh, part of the Sandinista revolution the communist revolution in Nicaragua. Socialist. Socialist revolution in Nicaragua. You're afraid of the word or? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway. Uh, it, it was socialist because he had a mixed economy and okay, it was, it was trying to accommodate um, some other sectors in the population. So it was yeah. not entirely communist. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the the word is a, a loaded yeah. term. Um, we, we could discuss that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and really, there's only been three successful revolutions uh, in response to uh, the American Empire or the hegemony of the United States in the Western Hemisphere. And the first of those was in Mexico in the early part of the 20th century. And that revolution for a time was quite active and vital. Um, We talked about the Zapatistas. Uh, Zapata was, of course, uh, one of the heroes of the revolution. Um, That revolution was eventually co-opted and, in a a sense, institutionalized and uh, became a rather corrupt regime uh, that uh, dominated power in Mexico. The other revolution, of course, is in Cuba in uh, in 1958-59. And uh, then in the uh, 1979, there was the revolution against a very repressive regime, a long-standing dictatorial regime, the Somoza regime in Nicaragua. Nicaragua is one of the areas where the U.S. Marines have intervened repeatedly um, and uh, so there was a, a powerful response. Uh, Dr. Guevara's role was in the army as a part of the uh, dramatic core, the, the idea of using drama and theater and performance as a way to boost morale in the army, to educate uh, within the revolution about the goals of the revolution, to animate and liberate uh, human creativity, of all sorts within within this revolutionary context. And so this uh, is, a, I think, a very unusual and special experience uh, and uh, one that I, I would certainly like to understand much better. And uh, so with that introduction, I'll, I'll let you um, present it in your own terms. We're going to show a movie tonight. It's called TV Heads. We're going to see how an event that I was involved with in Lethbridge uh, affected people in Nepal and uh, is part of your ongoing fieldwork in Nepal and I look forward to the possibility that we'll eventually uh, meet these folks you're working with in Nepal, uh, an NGO that represents essentially untouchables. Nepal is on the border of China and India. It's uh, a very uh, economically depressed country in some ways. It's also a country where there's a lot of uh, revolutionary ferment. China has had a big impact. There is a uh, Mao, so, Mao, Mao has had an impact, but China, the government of China is not helping yeah. the revolutionaries there. So okay, I'm uh, I'm uh, obviously uh, getting things not quite <laughs> right in the nuance here and there. So I'll I'll. Uh, it's okay. I'm uh, pleased that you're in uh, that you're here and uh, welcome to uh, globalization since 1492 and the axis of enlightenment. And I look forward to. Uh, spending uh, an hour or an hour and a half or so, and um, let's see what we can uh, come up with. Thank you very much. I mean, I didn't structure um, this presentation as a lecture or anything, uh, but I would like to uh, take the opportunity to talk about globalization uh, with, through my own experience. First of all, my experience um, in Nicaragua during the Sandinista Revolution and how that experience helped me, uh, shape me, uh, in the way I conduct my uh, ethnographic work. I, I am fundamentally an anthropologist who is interested uh, in understanding uh, social interaction, uh, structures of power, structures of violence, um, through performance. 
Okay, so I study performance uh, as a way of understanding um, cultural relations and social relations. So um, I would like to take the opportunity here to say something against um, what is called by some uh, scholars, uh, particularly Gomez Peña, who, uh, who is a performance artist, uh, Mexican-American, um, talking about uh, corporate, corporate globalization, okay, in which um, everything seems to be um, thrown on TV and the media. Okay, you can see almost anything. You don't know what's real, what's not, but everything is presented as the actual reality. Um, against that, contrary to that idea of globalization, um, I would like to tell you a story, a story of my experience in, in, involved in the trying to understand theater, trying to understand performance, trying to understand culture. So uh, my story is a story of experience and connectivity, that we can call it um, globalization, in, in a contrary to that corporate globalization that has commodified uh, almost everything in, 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 in our cultures. So the story of uh, experience that uh, that I'm going to talk to you about, I'm going to start, starts in Nicaragua in the 1980s during the Sandinista Revolution. Um, in 1982, I was part of, uh, in 1980, I started uh, to participate in a revolution through a li the literacy campaign, a very successful uh, literacy campaign organized by the Sandinista administration, who took power in 1979 by the uh, one of the cruelest and um, uh, longest living dictatorships in, in Latin America in history. So I started uh, uh, during the literacy campa campaign by organizing theater groups, okay, by trying to talk about the problematic. I was only 14 years old at that point. And then uh, after the literacy campaign, there were other tasks that I did through theater. For example, going through, um, as you were saying, uh, uh, organizing uh, cultural brigades to, um, to bring uh, entertainment to the troops and also a political message, okay, that what they were doing, especially in the mountains, uh, fighting against um, the contra-revolutionaries was, was a great thing. So then I started working uh, in, uh, in theater with a theater company. And what we did was try to create a link through theater between the rural populations and the urban populations. The urban population in Nicaragua didn't know anything about what was happening in the mountains. And the people in the mountains, peasants, didn't know what was going on in the city. So it was a great opportunity for me as a young person to participate in these uh, cultural brigades, trying to understand uh, the problematic of the peasant, why they didn't understand people in the cities, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess the Sandinistas, the history of the Sandinistas was urban intellectuals, university intellectuals, but then the view is you can't succeed just in, in among a bourgeois audience. You, you, you can't uh, mobilize the people from that stance. You have to go into the countryside, try to so, persuade the peasantry, mm -hmm. uh, well, join was, in the spirit of... It was more that. complicated than that in the yeah. sense that 
the Sandinistas actually had um, a lot of work. They were split into three factions. One of them was working with the peasants. Actually, that was uh, their, the whole idea of uh, revolutionary uh, struggle was to be with the peasants. Uh, it was a, a faction of the Sandinistas that was um, inspired by the Vietnamese, okay, mm. by the Vietnam Revolution. By Ho Chi Minh. Yeah, exactly. So, and so you have to live with the peasants. You have to actually struggle with them uh, and become a new man mm. through 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 that struggle. There was another faction that worked with the workers uh, and urban populations, and another faction that actually believed that you have to connect with uh, with the bourgeoisie in order to to obtain victory. Okay, mm -hmm. you have to kind of create a strategic alliances, uh, alliance with the bourgeoisie in order to, to win. And that's the main core of the revolution became that, that you have to kind of um, become plural in a sense to listen to a, every position in the land, but mm -hmm. never forgetting that the struggle was for the poor. So that was, that was the case. So, uh, uh, so we went to the mountains because there were so, still misunderstandings. Okay. The majority of the people in the army were people from urban populations, for example, those who directed the revolution were urban people, as, as you were saying. So there were misunderstanding. The, the, the peasants still didn't know uh, uh, what was going on in the country and if something good was for them. So we created this connection with theater, and that's how I became interested when I came to Canada um, to continue trying to uh, understand the role of theater, the role of performance in social relations, in gender relations, in, in class relations, mm. and, and so on. When I came here, okay, so I, I did my studies in, at uh, York University, at, at Concordia University, uh, and then I, I got this job teaching anthropology. And uh, so I decided with uh, some other professors, you included, and, and some students to organize um, a performance group in order to um, to try to create awareness or to create discussions about some particular issue. And it turned out to be an issue of the media. And uh, so that's the connection. I came with this desire to, to, to do theater, to create performances that are kind of critical. And I did uh, that kind of work in, in Montreal, in, uh, in Toronto, and then here mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to do this. And uh, I'd like to show you the film, a little 12-minute film that talks about this experience in Lethbridge a year ago. I'll tell you when to start. If you have questions in the meantime, I'll be happy to answer questions. 